Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction, and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Do you know a student getting ready to go to college? Or are you looking at going back to school yourself? The Woodward Hines Education Foundation and the Get to College program help more Mississippians get to and through college to get certificates and degrees that lead to meaningful employment. They offer free college planning advice, including hands-on FAFSA completion assistance through in-person or virtual appointments. Visit gettocollege.org to learn more. Good morning. It's 8.30 on Monday, December 11th. I'm Desiree Frazier, and this is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. On today's show, maternal deaths are on the rise in Mississippi. The Department of Health is calling on pregnant women to seek prenatal care. Then we speak with the state auditor about what policy changes he wants to see in the upcoming legislative session. And the Jewish community celebrates Hanukkah this week. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. The number of people with pregnancy-related deaths has jumped nearly 60% in recent years, according to the State Department of Health. The study follows trends between 2016 and 2020 in Mississippi. It also found 80% of those deaths could have been prevented if prenatal care and preventive medicine were used effectively. Our Kobe Vance speaks with State Health Officer Dr. Dan Edney about the study. He says this time period also includes the onset of COVID-19, a disease that is extremely dangerous during pregnancy. So some of the increased mortality that is in the 2020 report uh, is the beginning of that, but it's really a continuation of the things that you know we've been seeing and reporting out uh, all along, and that's predominantly cardiovascular issues with hypertension, uh, stroke, heart failure. You know, we have issues with perinatal infection, hemorrhage, and then still a lot of issues related to uh, mental health issues uh, with deaths related to substance abuse. So we'll have to get through the report uh, from 2020 and 2021 uh, to get past the COVID deaths. And then when we are reporting out the 2022 data, I think we'll clearly see a a reduction, but it, it won't be because things are better with maternal mortality, it will be that COVID is getting out of the way. Uh, I really think where we'll start seeing improved numbers based on the work that everybody's doing will be on into, you know, 2024, 2025. And to remember, these are deaths that are because a woman was pregnant, not because she happened to be pregnant. These are not car wrecks. These are not homicides. You know, these, this is a pregnancy-related death 
had the woman not been pregnant, she would not have died. And that's what we're doing with our health department uh, programs with the Healthy Moms, Healthy Babies, high-risk maternal infant program for our Medicaid moms and babies. Um, over 85% of our deaths are in the Medicaid population, so we, you know, we know we have to pay particular attention to our Medicaid moms to help them get through pregnancy safely. Reading from the report, between 2016 and 2020, 167 died during pregnancy-related illness. Then in just 2020, 48 cases were identified. Can you put in perspective how this is a trend that y'all are following? And do you think it's getting worse even though we are having to deal with the COVID numbers? We've had specific populations doing worse. And this is a this is a national trend that maternal infant death has become a higher priority nationwide because of the, the trends going the wrong way. And Mississippi specifically we're you know, we're demonstrating the highest impact. And it's one of our health disparities where we have African American women dying from pregnancy related issues for at four times the rate of Caucasian women and you know every death of a Mississippi woman in pregnancy is tragic and you know, we have to apply the resources that we have the evidence-based models and, and programs that are proven to work in place to try to, to save the largest number of lives because you know every mother who dies many times there's a baby who dies with her uh, or at the very least, there's a baby now who's growing up without a mother. And we know that that right there uh, puts that baby at, at a horrible disadvantage. So uh, this is critically important work uh, coming out of the pandemic. Uh, that I had set this as our number one population health priority. Uh, we have been using every lesson that that we learned through our pandemic, uh, every lesson that we can learn from what other states are doing that's showing effectiveness and bring it, bringing it to bear for the, the sake of women in Mississippi. Legislative session is just around the corner. Uh, no, just last year there was a big discussion about uh, funding for hospitals in rural areas. Are you all asking the legislature to do anything this coming legislative session to try to address maternal health care deserts or anything like that? Uh, especially like in the Delta where we've seen a NICU and the maternity ward to be shut down at some hospitals. Yeah, there's a lot of work going on among many community partners, especially in, in the Mississippi Delta, specifically looking at improving health care overall. Maternal death is exceedingly important, but the number one thing killing Mississippians is heart attacks and strokes. You know, so you know, we have to look at healthcare from a comprehensive standpoint and what do the people of Mississippi need uh, in terms of healthcare infrastructure and that that looks very differently depending on what part of the, the state that you're in but there's a lot of good work going on among leadership in the Delta to pull resources together uh, through uh, what other states do in rural areas with you know, healthcare authorities and looking at all options and opportunities available to plug these deserts and um, and provide access to care for you know, everyone in Mississippi at, at the level that they need and as close to home as possible 
but there are just some services that are going to have to be, you know, provided more at a regional level rather than a specific community level. If there if there's not enough population uh, to sustain OBGYNs in a certain community, then we have to make sure the women in that area have access and ability, you know, to get to uh, the OBGYN or to uh, family medicine obstetrician or licensed certified nurse midwife working collaboratively with OBs and uh, family medicine OB. I mean, there are lots of ways to improve how we do things uh, to improve access to care and improve our outcomes. Some of, it, some of that's within the legislature. Some of it's within other leaders out in the community. And it's going to take all of us working together. So we can't dump this in the governor's lap or to the legislature's lap alone. We, we all have to work together. And I'm committed that the health department will do our part. That was Mississippi State Health Officer Dr. Dan Edney. Coming up, we speak with the state auditor about what policy changes he's advocating for in the upcoming legislative session. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. What are your holiday traditions? Driving to see relatives? Baking treats? Curling up on the couch near the fireplace? MPB Think Radio can be a part of each of these holiday events. Listen on your car radio or your smart speaker along with on-demand favorites like Deep South Dining and Autocorrect inside the MPB Public Media app. Start a new tradition today, listening to MPB Think Radio while you celebrate the holidays. From our family at Mississippi Public Broadcasting to your family at home, wishing you joy, love, and laughter during this special season. Happy Holidays from MPB. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Desiree Frazier. The state auditor has shared his policy priorities less than a month out from the beginning of the legislative session in January. The proposals range from a more robust Open Meetings Act to providing a financial incentive for people who disclose fraud in their organization or state agency. State Auditor Shad White says identifying fraud early can prevent taxes from being stolen. He hopes it can help avoid situations like the historic welfare scandal his office helped investigate. There is a statute in federal law that says if a private citizen comes forward and they blow the whistle on corruption, they might be eligible to receive a percentage of what the government recovers if they're right. Uh, But unfortunately, there's no state law that says something similar to that. So I think that if a private citizen comes up and they say, look, I've seen a state employee or a local government official or a local politician steal money or steal government property, and they turn that information over to, to my office and they're right and we recover the money, I think that private citizen ought to be eligible to receive a portion of the recovery back. And the obvious reason here is you want to encourage people to come forward with information, to have the courage to be a whistleblower, so that we can uncover and stop more public corruption here in the state of Mississippi. I really think that if this passes, this could be a game changer in our fight against public corruption here in the state. 
uh, and it can really, really open up the doors to a lot of new information so that, that we can make sure that taxpayer money is being spent in the way that the law requires. Is this an indirect relation to the welfare scandal with TANF funds? The reason I think this bill is necessary is my five years of experience in this office with every case that we've had. You know, in every case, you always think, man, if somebody had just come forward a little bit earlier, we not we would not have seen this amount of theft. Um, I will say this, though, you know, the way that we have written this bill right now, it says that only people in the future can come forward as a whistleblower and recover a portion of what the state gets back. So for anybody who uh, for anybody who has previously come forward to the state auditor's office in any other case, they would not be eligible to get any sort of reward for cases that happened in the past. That is such a dicey issue for folks because you don't want to lose your job if they can trace it back to you. How is there a way to keep it strictly confidential? Well, we do we do have the whistleblower privacy protection statutes, which which say that if you come forward and, and you have information about uh, public corruption or fraud, we're not allowed to tell anybody that you were the source of that information. So in this particular instance, you know, if somebody is, is scared of losing their job, they should know that it's already law in the books that nobody can tell uh, who brought us this information if they come over. But my thought is this, people are still a little bit afraid that somebody will eventually find out or uh, they'll put the pieces together and say, oh, only only Jim in that office would have known about this, so he must have been the one who blew the whistle on it. We want to give Jim a little bit of an extra incentive to come forward, and so that's why, that's why you put into place a, a provision where Jim can take home a piece of the recovery if he's right. If this involves financial information, how do you protect the businesses or the agencies involved? We, we really have to do that in, in all of our cases all the time. So if you think back to the welfare scandal, you know, um, they come forward, somebody comes forward and they say, hey, we think something's going on here. We would obtain a ton of documents when we're investigating that scandal, but we don't give those documents out to the public, right? We would we would take those documents and we would look very closely at them. They would become part of our investigative file. We would share them with the FBI or we would share them with prosecutors, federal prosecutors, local prosecutors. Um, but but we wouldn't be sharing that with, with the public or reporters because we want to keep that investigative file closed uh, so that we don't reveal our investigative techniques, so, uh, so that, that we protect our methods for uncovering this stuff in the first place. With the Whistleblower Act, would someone have to wait until the investigation is completed? That could be a long time. It could. We see cases that range from you know, just a few months to years. So uh, the, the short answer is yes, there has to be a recovery in order for the whistleblower to, to receive the reward. Um, sometimes a person will come forward, we'll start an investigation, and within a few months, uh, the, the person who's done the stealing has coughed the money back up, it's back into the, the auditor's account, and we're then preparing to give it back to the, the place where the money was stolen from. On the other hand, let's go back to the welfare scandal. Uh, we stopped that scandal in February of 2020 with the help of the local DA. And, uh, you know, our estimate at this point is that north of $100 million of welfare funds 
were misspent. And yet out of that hundred plus million dollars, barely more than a million dollars have have been actually recovered. So short answer is yes, it can take a very long time for the courts to work to get that recovery back in the door. We'll continue our conversation with State Auditor Shad White tomorrow morning. He'll discuss his hopes for a more robust Open Meetings Act. Next, the Jewish community in Mississippi is celebrating Hanukkah this week. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. What are your holiday traditions? Driving to see relatives? Baking treats? Curling up on the couch near the fireplace? MPB Think Radio can be a part of each of these holiday events. Listen on your car radio or your smart speaker, along with on-demand favorites like Deep South Dining and Autocorrect inside the MPB Public Media app. Start a new tradition today, listening to MPB Think Radio while you celebrate the holidays. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Desiree Frazier. Today marks the halfway point of Hanukkah, a Jewish holiday for lighting lights at the darkest point in the year. Jewish leaders say it's not traditionally one of the most significant holidays in their faith, but it has grown in prominence as part of the larger end-of-the-year holiday season. While this is supposed to be a joyful celebration, many people in the state's Jewish community are concerned about the war between Israel and Hamas. Our Kobe Vance speaks with Rabbi Deborah Kossoff of the Hebrew Union Congregation in Greenville about this year's celebration. In many ways, the Jewish community in Mississippi is celebrating Hanukkah in the same way that it normally would, with lighting the Hanukkah, which is the Hanukkah menorah, Hanukkah lamp. Those lights symbolize the the light of the miracle of Hanukkah, which, depending on which version of the story you you prefer, either has to do with the miraculous, highly unlikely victory of a small, untrained band of, of Jewish rebels over the Syrian Greek armed forces who had taken control of Jerusalem and ransacked the temple. And Hanukkah means rededication. And so the, the light of the, of the Hanukkah, it helps us celebrate the miracle and remind us of the importance of our dedication to our faith and to our principles. Uh, it's a holiday that celebrates freedom of religion, which is always relevant for us as Americans, but especially poignant at this time, I think. During a year that's just been very difficult, there's just been an uptick in anti-Semitic incidents even before the war broke out in Israel. So there are a lot of great things about, about the celebration for us right now. People traditionally will enjoy eating all sorts of treats fried in oil. So latkes are traditional, the potato pancakes fried in oil. And a custom that's more common among Mizrahi or Eastern or Sephardi North African Jews is to have sufganyot, which are often stuffed. They're, they're fried fried dough, donuts essentially, but often you know, stuffed with all sorts of great flavors. So we enjoy special treats. There's a, a game called dreidel that a lot of people are familiar with. The, the dreidel is a toy top. And according to legend, during, during the time when, when the Syrian Greeks had forbidden Jews to practice 
our religion students of Torah would keep these these toys handy so they would gather to study. But if soldiers showed up to inspect to make sure no one was breaking the law and trying to practice Judaism, trying to pray or study, they would hide their books and whip out their tops and pretend that they were just gambling. So these are all things that, that traditionally we do. We sing songs and generally enjoy, um, you know, the, the lightness of the festival at a dark time of year. Do you all face any discrimination, in your opinion, whenever you're trying to take time off to spend with family or travel to see others or, you know, just generally trying to celebrate the holidays at a time when uh, in a state that is predominantly Christian and celebrates later in the month? Well, it, it's an interesting question because actually the um, the date that we celebrate Hanukkah, it, it, it is fixed in the Hebrew calendar. It's always the 25th day of the month of Kislev, which is a lunar month. And so it's always about five days before before the new moon of the following month. It begins in the darkest time of the month toward the end of the year. Uh, this year it happens to fall early. It's not as early as it was several years back. Hanukkah actually began on Thanksgiving, which was the earliest, like any anyone that I know could remember it ever having started in our lifetime. But other years, it will actually start on Christmas because the, the Jewish calendar is the lunar solar. It's a hybrid calendar. So we have a leap month every two or three years to keep the holidays in sync with the season. It's certainly the best known festival that we celebrate that is not mentioned anywhere in the Hebrew Bible. And that is because included, the books of Maccabees weren't included in, weren't canonized in the Hebrew Bible because it's considered a minor festival religiously, and it really came to hold this much more important place culturally with probably probably even beginning in Europe with the rise of sort of the Victorian-style Christmas, where Christmas became very publicly celebrated and much more commercialized and about gifts and family and just a much bigger holiday for Christians than it had been previously. Yeah, it's, it's it's important for everyone to keep in mind that it, it's not religiously as significant a festival. It's not a holiday that Jewish custom designates as a rest day. Uh, we don't take a day off from work or from school to celebrate Hanukkah. It's just a very simple and brief evening ritual each of the eight nights to, to, to come together um, with your household and, and light the Hanukkah, enjoy the fun of the lights and the games and the being together. But it's not a holiday that where a lot of families will, will travel long distances to be together, unlike, say, Passover or Rosh Hashanah, the Jewish New Year, would be another time of year when it's important for families to get together. But, yeah, I mean, to address kind of the spirit of your question, which is, is it challenging to try to celebrate Jewish holidays, you know, the major ones and, and the less important ones in a culture that that has no idea for the most part, you know, when they fall or what they mean. It definitely requires a willingness to be different and to be creative and to, you know, kind of exist in a in a sort of counterculture. I, I didn't grow up in Mississippi. I'm a transplant from the north and um I have always found it very welcoming here in Mississippi, I think because people in Mississippi 
take religion seriously in general, you know, and, they, and I've always sensed a lot of respect from the folks that I meet, whatever faith they hold, you know, for me taking seriously my own faith. I wanted to go back to something you mentioned earlier, and this will be my last question here, is just how are you and your congregation feeling right now as there is such a rise in anti-Semitic language and there is the war going on in Israel? I think that there's a lot of anxiety and concern. Um, certainly, I mean, as as a as a leader in the Jewish community, um, security has been on my radar screen much longer than it has, has been for most of my congregants. It's something that for a long time I really had to um, I really had to push my congregational leaders to take seriously, and I don't have to push them so hard anymore because they get it now. We've been speaking with Rabbi Deborah Kazoff. She is with New Hebrew Congregation based in Greenville. Rabbi Kazoff, thank you so much for your time today. You are so welcome, Toby. It's a pleasure. This has been Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio.